Thanks for tuning in, everyone. On today's episode, Brian sits down with fellow serial entrepreneur Jen Groover. They talk about how you can either feed your ego or your pocketbook, but you can rarely feed both, responding versus reacting, and the more method. Tweet Brian at Brian Undy and let him know what you thought. I think as an entrepreneur, one of the things that is should be on the forefront of everybody's brain is, you know, if you're going to start a business or establish business is like, uh, you know, can you thrive in a booming economy, economy and can you uh, thrive also in a down economy or, or recession? And I think yeah. the business that you're in and the business that you start is really important to be aware of when you when you start it. And yeah. I think, I think okay. for the higher echelon entrepreneurs, they'll be more cognizant of that. So we'll, uh, and I know that you, it's funny, you, um, I was looking through some of your stuff and you, you call yourself a serial entrepreneur, which I always, uh, I call myself a serial entrepreneur just since I was even selling golf balls, picking them out of the lake and selling them, um, <laughs> you know, or, or trading baseball cards with my dad. Um, but kind of, uh, share, Tell me like where you got your start or what, what made you curious and wanted to be in business and, um, you know, become an entrepreneur, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, I, I honestly believe my childhood created my entrepreneurship because I had such a dysfunctional childhood. I had to be self-sufficient. I had to be independent. I had to be resilient, uh, and so I kind of just learned how to thrive instead of just survive. Um, I was always escaping my reality through imagination. So I was very creative. Um, and, and I feel that those were fundamental skills that really created my belief systems to uh, move me into this direction of entrepreneurship. But when I was in college, I went home during a break and uh, I did step aerobics. And I loved it. It was so much fun. Music's blaring. You had to focus on the choreography. So my mind is working. And that hour flew like five minutes. And having been an athlete my whole life, doing track, basketball, and soccer, your training, your conditioning was always wind sprints and things that are going to make you feel like you're going to vomit. So I was like, this is awesome. Like, I just worked out and I feel great. So I went back to my university. I went to the administrators and I was like, hey, I want to start a group fitness program. I went to get my certification and uh, the administrators gave me a hundred steps, a boom box and a space. And I just kind of took it from there. Uh, and so I charged people $3 a class and um, wasn't sure how it was going to go. But my first class, I was like, Oh my God, what if no one shows up? Or what if like three people show up? That's even worse than if no one shows up. But then we had almost every step taken and it was the most euphoric feeling in the world to me where I had this high, this like the chills that like go over your body. You're like, I created this. It's amazing. So that was by default, my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and, and when my dad, my dad was an attorney and people would always say to my dad, why don't you, you know, become part of a big law firm. And he'd always say, because I want to come and go as I please. I don't want to answer to anybody. And I don't want to work on Fridays if I don't want to work. And I remember always thinking like, that's a sweet deal. <laughs> that's awesome. That's what I want to do when I get older. So that definitely conditioned how I view things. But then when I graduated college, or as I was graduating college, really thinking about what I was going to do, um, I had this belief system because everything I do, I do a thousand percent. 
And if I'm going to do things a thousand percent, why would I allow somebody else to limit my growth? And that was, that was the belief that I had of what it, being an employee was. Somebody else can dictate how fast you can grow and, and cap you, even if you're doing a great job. And to me, that was defeating. So um, my degree was in education and psychology, had all these certifications in the fitness world. And um, I, my dad forced me to take a teaching job for half of the school year because my degree was in that. So we thought that's what I had to do. Never wanted to do it. And I did it, which validated that was exactly not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I was still doing all the uh, instruction at gyms all over and teaching master classes and still in that fitness world. So I wound up um, running into these guys that had a gym in Wilmington, Delaware. And they said to me, hey, we're looking for a female. We want to attract more female clients. We want a female voice as well. We want a group fitness program. Do you want to partner with us? And I was like, sure. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I know how to start a group fitness program and I know how to train people and I know the whole fitness component. So that's how my first business really started. And I was 25 at the time, 24 at the time, actually. That's awesome. It's funny that you talked about your dad, by the way. My dad always said that too. Like he started his own practice as a CPA and, um, and, you know, he used to always instill that in me. It's like, look, go learn your craft, whatever it is that you want to do, and then do your own own thing. And um, that was his greatest joy, too, is like, and then the older he got, you know, he, I remember uh, he sold his practice and then he got hired on by, uh, I forget what firm, it was an investment firm because, you know, they wanted him to go as a professional, bring in his clients to, um selling stocks and investments and stuff like that. And he lasted, like he got his, he got all of his uh, certifications and he lasted probably about two months. And he's like, I just can't work for anybody. Like, you know, you know, he just, he said, that's the greatest joy is I don't have to answer to anybody. No one ever had to teach him hard work ethic. And I think the biggest thing for a lot of people is to realize is that when you're an entrepreneur uh, and other people are counting on you, you know, you, you don't have the luxury of not showing up, but in your brain you do. Right. So like, you're not necessarily, you, not, you have to be in at nine, you want to be in at nine, so to speak. But, um, yeah. so it's funny that you, you mentioned that that's one of the things that just always ring true. And, uh, and I haven't been ever able to ever hold down a job, I think because of that, but, um, I was saying that, uh, you have, cause I always say that one of the things that we're building now is a lifestyle brand. And I think it's so important. You look at Nike, to me, Nike isn't uh, a company that just sold soles for shoes, right? That's how Phil Knight started it. He built the lifestyle brand. Uh, it sells everything now. But um, you, you, uh, you know, I, I want to hear a little bit about uh, Leader Girls. Um, and the reason why is we started a girls basketball camp uh, called Blue Chip All-Stars. It became one of the top camps in the country. Uh, it was my dad's second career. Um, I played basketball through college and we wanted to stay affiliated with, and it was probably the the greatest thing that he was the most proud of because of the influence and the difference he made in a lot of young athletes' lives, helping them get their education through basketball, get them exposure. Um, and I tried to peel off that and do this before. Uh, this was right when um, there wasn't really any go- girls' clothing line. Me and a business partner of mine, we started a company called Girl Gear. And we were trying to be like the Nike for girls athletics. Uh Um, 
And we met Phil Knight in 1997 uh, in San Antonio at the Final Four. And we went up and we said, yeah, give us a piece of advice. He goes, make good shit. Uh, <laughs> the point is, obviously, that um, that was a great learning lesson. That uh, mm-hmm. uh, was early in my career. But whenever I saw leader girls, it just it stimulated me because of kind of my association with girls basketball and stuff mm-hmm. and, and that empowerment, uh, which I think is so important today. But uh, share with me a little bit about what leader girls is. Sure. So I was always fascinated with branding, uh, probably because my degree is in psychology and I'm obsessed with human behavior. And uh, I I wound up meeting this mentor who was the right-hand guy for Ted Turner back in the day for all this branding. And um, he taught me so much about the psychology of branding and that branding is really storytelling and creating not a product but the story, the lifestyle. And this is back in 2000, he's telling me this, 2001. Uh, At the same time, I was on QVC. And QVC is the same thing. I always say I got my master's in business at QVC because QVC has really intense psychological training. It's on-air training, but it's psychological training so that you can go on air and sell $5,000 a minute. You're taught to speak in sound bites. You're taught to tell the story in a proper way that actually builds uh, engagement and emotional attachment. And so um, I learned the art of storytelling before it was a thing. Now it's a thing. Uh, and, and, and every brand has to tell a story and that story has to emotionally connect with people, not just be really cool sneakers, like you said, but this story of when I wear these sneakers, I feel cool. I feel more athletic. So um, I always learned how to structure everything I was doing by storytelling first. So when I invented a technology in a handbag, which became the Butler Bag Company, um, bootstrapping the whole thing, inspired by my twin daughters who were infants at that time. And uh, I didn't have an enormous budget, but what I did have was the ability to storytell. And my storytelling is what took it from zero to a million in one year and million to 10 in two years. And the reason is, On every hang tag that we had, I told the story about this was inspired by a mother who was overwhelmed with twins who stuck her dishwasher in the dishwasher tray. And what happened is it empowered this entire army of women who would buy the product and then go tell my story. They wouldn't say, oh, look how cool this bag is. They'd say, oh, this bag was created by a mom who was overwhelmed with twins, put her dishwasher tray in the dishwasher. So they were able to understand the inspiration and it was a lifestyle brand. It was a story to them. It was an emotionally connecting story. So um, I knew that every time I went into the media and had an interview, I always led with the story. And so the story became the lifestyle brand, which then spawned out into jewelry and other products. Once I understood this formula and I practiced it through the Butler Bag Company, I realized I could apply this formula to anything. The formula stays the same. And so uh, I was in Disney with my daughters. Uh, They were three at the time. And here we are going to all these castles and there's princesses everywhere. And and some of the stories were antiquated to me and not really resonating with the message I was trying to send my children. And, And it's sweet and all, but I think as somebody who psychologically analyzes things, I wanted a different story. So it really inspired me to say, what is that story? What is the lifestyle I want to create? Uh, And that's where Leader Girls was 
came, where it was inspired from. When I came home, it was very clear to me that I wanted to teach every girl, including my daughters, how to uh, foster their inner entrepreneur, because children are born as entrepreneurs. We're all born like that. We just get stripped of it through different belief systems and schooling and, and this conformity that is projected on us. And, and foster this inner entrepreneur so that they could express themselves and live to their fullest potential. So Leader Girls was that expression where uh, the whole mission was to help girls foster their inner entrepreneur through play so that they could be empowered and understand that their, their uniqueness is their power. Their ability to do things uniquely is their expression. So for example, um, one of the kits, it was all kits. Uh, and that's when the make it your own uh, phenomenon was really taking off. So one was handbag. So I'm not like fully creating, recreating the wheel, but the positioning and the storytelling is what changed it completely. So make your own handbag. So all the product is there, the, the uh, kits together. But on the front cover, it says, become a handbag designer. And in there, in the, pop, in the box, is a story of this little girl and, and She's inspired, you know, by her mom and all her mom's fashion and her mom would give her old purses and she'd cut them up and put them together. And long story short, she becomes this fashion, famous fashion designer. So the story was telling these little girls about it starts with just playing around in your home, making your purse, but eventually it can come, become this big, enormous thing that's your dream. And so that's what Leader Girls was and the intention of it um, was to teach people the skills of, uh, one of the biggest things I learned in, in education, in, in getting my degree in education, is how children are playing, what they're playing with, are truly forming their beliefs and views of the world for their future. So if I could empower little girls to see that they're not just doing arts and crafts, but the arts and crafts are meaningful for their future, we could empower a lot more females to become entrepreneurs. That's awesome. And Thanks. so, um, so where is Leader Girls now? Is it? Uh... So I licensed it to a company called Playworld. Uh, Playworld had a lot of other brands with similar missions. Uh, so, you know, for me, I'm always, which is why I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm creating, building on something, and then uh, bringing it to what I can bring it to, and then partnering with people that can bring it to the next level. No, yeah, and I think it's an important lesson. I think that um, you know, there's all kinds of different. Uh, plays that happen. I think the passion is what the hardest thing is to get something up and off the ground, right? Like uh, cultivating uh, thought, a vision um, into reality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, someone has to see what isn't as if it were, but then you have to have the right team to go to the next level. I have a good friend of mine, Aton Albaz, who he started a company called Applied Semantics. Uh, and he started that back in uh, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. And he got it to a point where it was as far as he could take it. And then Google came in and bought him for like $300 million, right? And it's what today we know as Google AdWords. It's mm -hmm. that sense. Yeah. And I remember um, doing some events with him uh, probably about 10 years ago. And I kept asking anytime, time, like, why did you sell it? Because, you know, Google AdSense represents billions and billions and billions of dollars every year uh, in sales for Google. It became the primary revenue engine uh, for Google. And uh, he said, well, we got it to a point uh, – we took it as far as we could take it. And he yeah. said it was, it was, you know, time for us to hand it off to someone that could actually take it. Um, but he said, you know, every time I see Google AdSense, he said, that's a piece of me there. So he said, there's, it's kind of like seeing your kid grow up, right? You, know, you have to emancipate them. Right? Yeah. 
Well, and I think it's true to also say one of the most important lessons an entrepreneur can learn is to, to get really honest with what you're good at and really honest with what you're not good at. And when you address what you're not good at, you need to either hire the people to support that or align with the people to support that. And I'm very honest with myself about that. I'm really good at taking a vision and bringing the vision to life. I'm really good at getting it up and moving and showing that there's value to it. I do not like the day-to-day manufacturing stuff. I do not like the fulfillment stuff. I don't like that back-end stuff. And the the most important thing I like to do is teach. So if I'm doing the day-to-day fulfillment, back-end organizational stuff, I'm not teaching. I'm not speaking. I'm not touching people as much because I'm consumed with minutia of the day-to-day stuff. Now, one of my business partners loves that. He absolutely loves it. He would die if he had to go do public speaking and teaching and trainings. And so I found someone who's really good at what I'm not good at, but licensing became a really important strategy for me in business because it allowed me to, to get to the point where I could lift my, my business up and know that it was worth something, but then get somebody who already had their infrastructure in place to multiply what I was capable of doing. Uh, and they are managing the day-to-day headaches and I'm not, which is great. I get to do what I'm good at is still speak and, and spread the mission and, and inspire people, uh, which is where I'd like to focus my energy the most. Awesome. Yeah. And I know that, uh, we talked about this, um, uh, I don't know, right when the pandemic hit, but I think it's, it's actually probably a, a great time to circle back around because I think uh, every entrepreneur, you have to learn different skill sets, um, and a lot of times those skill sets come from experience and wisdom. Um, but I think, you know, uh, we have an event called more and I remember us laughing because you said you have the more method, like, you know, <laughs> and, um, I've always said that, you know, if, if you want to uh, make more, you got to be more right. If you right. want to, you know, if you want more in your life, you gotta, you gotta learn what more is and uh, there's always more, right. So it's kind of right. like the whole pursuit of becoming better or pursuit of uh, constantly growing or the whole, uh, but I'm interested for everyone to hear like what you're, what you developed the more method for. Um, and I know one of the things that you talk a lot about is emotional intelligence, which I think, uh, right now is so, so prevalent for people to understand what EQ is, what emotional intelligence is. And that's not only important for entrepreneurs, but anyone today, um, right now it's important, um, to actually, uh, know how to respond and not necessarily react. Tell us a little bit about the more method. <laughs> yeah. So there's like 50 questions in there. I'm like ready to unpack the So I love it. I'm so excited because the more method uh and, and that mindset of more uh first of all shows we're kindred spirits. <laughs> but um more to me is is becoming more to achieving more and receiving more. People keep setting out all these goals and and desires yet they don't transform who they are. So you can't get new outcomes without changing who you are first. And so the more methods mantra is be more to achieve more and receive more. And it's really about teaching people to be their best version selves. And so over the last decade, as I, I've been teaching human behavior for 20 years, over 20 years, but in the last decade, I've really focused it in on emotional intelligence because As I learned in the personal development space, it's one thing to motivate people and get them fired up, but you have to transform people in order for them to truly change. And emotional intelligence is the key to that transformation. Because 
Emotional intelligence is a heightened sense of self-awareness and the heightened awareness of others. It's the heightened awareness of who you are, why you do what you do, and what you need to change to improve who you are. It's the heightened awareness of your communication skills or lack thereof for a lot of people. And it's exactly what you just said, which is one of the chapters in my book, learning to respond instead of react. And so um, when I teach emotional intelligence, uh, which is different than a lot of my peers, I would pull in my nutrition background, my physiology background, um, I obsessively have studied quantum physics and neuroscience as well and Buddhism, um, you know, in my journey of my own transformation. I realized that theory of psychology and emotional intelligence is thinking about being compassionate or thinking about being uh, empathetic. And it's one thing to think in in theory, but it is a totally different thing to actually practice it. And practicing empathy and compassion when you're triggered, when you're angry at somebody, when, when you're resentful to somebody, and being able to be, be able to step outside of your ego and assess it objectively and respond objectively is a really powerful skill, but a skill that we have to really develop and harness if we grew up in a reactive life. So I grew up in a very reactive household. So my, what I call your default patterning your default self is who you were exposed whoever you were exposed to growing up your parents your grandparents your school all of those things in the early years of your life are pretty much comprised of your default self so even if we evolve or when we're triggered we can revert back to our default self so i had to work really hard at not being triggered and reacting to things because throughout my entire childhood was reactionary behavior. So that's what was modeled as normal behavior. So this really impressioned me that if we can control our emotional state, we can stay calm and centered, then we can actually control a lot more that's happening around us. And the way I explain it, it was when you learn emotional intelligence, it's like becoming Yoda to your own life and a Jedi to everybody else's life, right? To think about that. Yoda's wise, centered, grounded, calm. The Jedis, they just lead and everyone follows because they have confidence, conviction, this clear understanding and wisdom. And so I knew that emotional intelligence was that key that a lot of people didn't know or understand. And it took psychology to a whole different level. And how Buddhism ties into it is when I read The Art of Happiness from the Dalai Lama, and I started really understanding the philosophy of Buddhism. Um, it's not really a religion for, for those who don't know. It's more of a, a practice, uh, like yoga is a practice. They would talk about compassion and understanding and, and the art of letting go. And, and that's like the height, a, a high pillar of emotional intelligence is to just let things go. That means you're calming your ego, you're taming your ego, and not needing to be right. There's a famous Buddhist saying, uh, would you rather be right or happy? So I always test people with this and they're like, well, I'm really happy when I'm right. <laughs> and I know that they're coming from this place of ego. And, and, and that's really the name of the game with emotional intelligence is taming the ego uh, and coming from this place where you can be compassionate and empathetic, where you are in control of your perspectives and you can let things go 
in a way that allows you to be happier, right? We create our own suffering by the meanings that we're giving things. We create our own pain by holding on to things. And we create our own, what I call purgatory, in how we want to view things to hurt us instead of help us. And so, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, like, I, I, um, I agree a thousand percent, right? It's, it's, uh, I have a saying that I, I say a lot of times, even from stage, is that as an entrepreneur, the one thing that will actually come, um, you'll come in, into, uh, probably conflict, but you'll, you'll face it. And that is you'll have a decision to make. You'll come to a crossroads and it's either, you're either going to feed your ego or your pocketbook. You're never going to feed both. Right. And, right. Um, yeah. and you know, especially yeah. if you're going to build something to last today, uh, you have to make the right decision. Those right decisions are made based on, like you said, responding. Um, you know, and I'd love you know a couple of tools that I've always used for responding instead of reacting would be number one, breathe. Um, yeah. You know, I know Mel Robbins took the five second rule, uh, and she uses it to like go and, and have confidence, right? I don't know if you know Mel. Mel's a good friend. Uh, I always heard it in the reverse, right? I always heard like when you get angry or triggered breathe and take five seconds before you react, right? Or seven seconds or whatever it is. And so, uh, but the other thing is like what you said and something that I've gotten from, if you want to say uh, Buddhist origins is, uh, is the questions you ask yourselves, you know? So if something's triggering, you ask, well, what can I learn from this? As uh, a question that I ask myself all the time, because what it does is it shifts my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's so funny because a lot of the things, the philosophies that you're saying, we talk about, um, you know, all the time. And that's one of the reasons I, what we do um, is because, it, it, you know, you're giving people not only a platform, but you have to give people a guidance. A platform is not enough today to, to, to be happy. And like you said, um, I can't wait to dive into more, pun intended, of the more. more. <laughs> um, I say to add to it is to me, once you become more, you know, um, and you achieve more, it gives you the ability to be happier because the true essence of happiness is what you're able to contribute. So yeah. contribute more at the very end is, is uh, you can't contribute what you don't have or what you haven't gone through. And um, yeah. you know, I, hopefully you'll maybe come back and maybe we can do something to where you can uh, maybe give some tools uh, around the more method and maybe we can do a little, um, I don't know, virtual event around it. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, just to, to, hit on two of the things you said um, in, in, in the state of being reactive or, or trying not to be reactive. I do something similar. I teach all my students pause. So breathe, uh, reflect. So that's where you ask the questions. Uh, is this really real? Is this really uh, coming from a true place of, of pain or is this coming from my past pain? Um, Am I projecting something on this person? Am I viewing this the right way or the wrong way? Is there another perspective that I can have before I respond? And then the next step is, uh, so it's, I'm sorry, it's pause, reflect, reframe. So that reframing process allows us to get better thought process together and then re-engage. So this could happen in a matter of seconds or it could happen over a period of time. But if everybody could stop and think, pause, reflect, reframe, re-engage, they're going to come back to the table in, in, in a better state. And I always say to people when I'm triggered, hey, listen, I need to process this 
And I want to respond when I'm a better version of myself. Right. And I always say I want to respond when I'm a better version of myself because I'm not putting the blame on them. I'm saying I need to regroup who I am and come back as a better person right now so I don't say something stupid. So that's a huge technique people can use. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the most simple techniques that can change people's behavior and allow them to get more out of life because they're able to have better relationships. And relationships are a fundamental part of how we get more out of life. Sure. Yeah, I, I, um, I, a wise person told me a long time ago that the quality of your life is going to be in direct proportion to the quality of relationships that you create, build, and maintain throughout your life. And so uh, I, I, I think the base, um, the base of building anything to last is like knowing what your priorities are. And, and for me, I think uh, for anyone listening, even in business today is, is the priority should be people, should be relationships. Um, that's what gives you the ability uh, to me to win long-term is, you know, if you're going to create a movement, if you're going to create a community, as we were talking earlier, if you're going to create a brand, then that brand has to be supported by people and people are connected based on uh, different temperaments, talents, and convictions, but towards a centered focus of, of relationships going after a, something in common, a commonality. Yeah. And so, uh, so no, that's awesome. I, I'd love to have you back. And then in, in um, give everyone just kind of a takeaway. We're uh, right now in this time that most people are still quarantined. We're still uh, creating a new norm for ourselves. But um, what are some things that you're doing right now to stimulate your 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 spirit, your brain, um, or if you want to call it, you know, we use the word biohack a lot in our community. But what's yeah. what's a biohack that you perform right now to keep yourself at an optimal level every, every single day? Yeah. So um, the more method, just to give everybody a sense, M stands for mindfulness and all that you do. O is optimization of body and brain. R is living responsively versus reactively, and E is excelling in all aspects of life. So if you use that as a framework, first is being mindful, right? So I'm mindful every day about, am I thinking high quality thoughts or negative victim stated thoughts? Am I um, surrounding myself with, with people who are lifting me up? So surrounding yourself could be virtually, who are you engaging with all day? Positive uplifting people or people that are going to bring you down? What's your social media feed look like? That could be really disruptive right now. Um, what am I doing in my free time? I'm being mindful of, am I using my free time to improve myself or am I binging on Netflix all the time? I'm not saying we can't binge on Netflix, but how are you using the majority of your free time to work towards your goals or to distract from your goals? And then the O is the optimization. So every day I, I live with this pillar of creating structure and routine because routine is really important to keep for people that aren't used to uh, not having to go to work every day and, and having somebody oversee what they're doing. Uh, so routine is very important. Eating healthy is incredibly important. Uh, I know everyone listening knows if you're eating junk, you feel like junk. Uh, and if we're feeling stress, we don't want to add to that stress physically or mentally or emotionally. Uh, and, and so sleeping properly, staying in a sleep routine, I think has been really challenging for a lot of people. Uh, so really auditing. I've created these auditing checklists um, as part of the method to really help people every day go through the checklist saying, am I doing these things? Uh, and, and being responsive versus reactive is mindset, right? How do I see this obstacle as an opportunity? How do I find this 
opportunity through innovation. So instead of being distracted and distressed by things are changing, okay, great. I'm going to do more virtual trainings. I'm going to really work on uh, different classes that I wanted to create that I put on the back burner. I might create other companies. I, like I said earlier, you know, are going to notice new human behavior trends and speak to those trends and try to fill those, add value to those trends. Uh, and lastly, excelling in all aspects of our lives is identifying there's four core quadrants of our life, our personal, I mean, I'm sorry, our professional achievement, our health and well-being, our relationships, and um, our personal evolution. So every day analyzing, auditing, am I working on all four quadrants? Am I investing time in my family and my, my health of my relationships? Because what you just said earlier about relationships uh, in direct proportion to, to uh, I forget the exact quote you said, but, but mine is the health of the re your relationships is in direct proportion to your success and happiness. So how are we fostering healthy relationships? How am I taking care of my physical wellness? What am I adding to my personal achievement, um, my professional achievement, and my own personal evolution? And every day, if we nurture those four quadrants, we have more holistic success and fulfillment. For sure. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and drink ketones with it. That's the most important. Well, that starts in my morning. That's my first morning, right? What's your Stay favorite flavor? I like them all, quite honestly. Uh, the unicorn one is my favorite, probably because yeah, I always, <laughs> because my friends and I always joke with each other about being unicorns. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my favorite. Probably there's definitely a subconscious bias to it that makes it taste even better than it already does. But um, I like all of them really. And I love the energy that it gives me. Um, I, it just gives me sustainable energy, which I love as well. That's awesome. Well, um, we have to get another time where we can uh, talk further. Um, I, I, I definitely, if we could, we could do a virtual event um, uh, or maybe even we're, we're getting ready to plan a virtual event, Keto Academy, uh, maybe even just do it then and do it as a segment for Keto Academy. Uh, if you, if That'd be great. Well, listen, I appreciate it. Likewise. Bye. Yeah.